One of the, thing, the other thing I wanted to start out with a disclaimer is sometimes when uh, you're in a presentation like this, you can, you can be uh, misled to believe that the guy on the stage has all the answers. Uh, it's just not true. In fact, uh, one of the things maybe that's true is that I probably have just failed at this more often than most people. Right? But I tell you what, one of the things we found out about was uh, how to have glorious failure. Because really, I'll tell you, the first year of my time in the exploratory was really, really hard. We, uh, first week after installation, we started church right away back then. We didn't do the, the wait and learn your community thing. So worship the next week happened and there were nine people there. That's tough, right? And you kept doing the work and doing the outreach and a month later there were, there are nine people there. And you keep doing the work and doing the outreach and a month later there's 12 people there. And honestly there were times at which I started to ask the question whether or not, is, is this really the best use of my time? Is, is this really the place where God would want me to use my, my talents for his kingdom? Um, and you know that was, the, the failures involved in outreach. Well, the other day I, I saw that, uh, um, that Deion Sanders was asked about what was harder, playing professional football or playing professional baseball. And he said, any sport where you can fail seven out of 10 times and still make $300 million, that is a hard sport. Um, but here's the point that, uh, that I thought about that. If you've done any amount of outreach, you realize that our failure rate is gonna be far greater than seven out of 10. But here we have an opportunity though to, uh, to know that when we fail, God can make something really glorious out of it. Um, but sometimes it takes a long time to figure that out. Uh, I, I remember very distinctly, after one full year of the exploratory, working as hard as I knew how, July 4th, or the first weekend in July, in the year 2000, we had worship and there were eight people there. Eight, after one year, and four of those were my family. I contributed to the most amount of my congregational growth by having another kid. Um, so four of them were my family. The other four were first-time visitors. Not a single congregational member was in town at all. Um, here's the thing. I needed to go through that crucible to hear God's answer to those silly questions that I had. His answers were, is this worth my time? Yes, it is. Uh, is this the base, best place for me? Of course. Yes, it is. I just needed to work through failure so that I could understand what God's answers were to those questions for me. And so, you know, what I'm going to talk about today is really the distillation of 22 years of failure and 22 years of learning, hopefully, what, we, what we've done that hasn't worked at all, humanly speaking, and, and finding ways to see how God turned our failure into something that was for his glory. And, and that's, you know, being in one place for a really long time does give you kind of a unique perspective in that. Um, like there's a man named Ken, I met him in July of 1999, uh, first month doing the exploratory, and uh, Ken uh, got on my prospect list, but I couldn't get him to come to church. Uh, nothing that I did could get Ken to, come, Ken to come to church. Ken stayed on my prospect list for 22 years. Um, if you want to talk about a failure when it comes to finding a way to share the gospel with someone that turns them into meaningful, uh, it turns them into a, a church member or a member of the Holy Christian Church, I had completely failed with Ken for 22 years. Um, and out of the blue, five months ago, Ken came to church. And now he's not just a member, but he's brought nine of his other family members with him too. It's just a reminder that as we talk about these things, 
it's so full of failure. But God's got a way to take our failure and turn it for his glory. And so as we, uh, as we talk about these outreach things that, that, uh, that we're going to spend some time on here, please keep those two things in mind. Uh, that number one, this is coming from my context of ministry. I need you to run that through the filter of your context of ministry. And number two, anything we talk about where God's given us success, it was only through a long, long list of glorious failures. Uh, but, you know, thinking about that Deion Sanders quote, We've been given an invitation by Jesus to participate in his mission of calling the elect to faith through the gospel. We might fail at it, but let's get in the box and go down swinging. Let's go down swinging. We might miss seven out of ten, but God's invited us to participate in this mission, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about that today. Let me real quickly fix my presentation, because I am not, I am mirrored instead of the other. I think that will work. Yes. Um, so outreach was something that we had to be very, very interested in as an exploratory church. We've got the chairman for the uh, Board for Home Missions here, so I've got to make sure all the things I say are in line with what, what Board for Home Missions would say. Uh, but we needed, to, it's not, here's the thing, if we, had, um, if we had not committed to outreach and the growth that the Spirit would bring, we would be a congregation that after 20 years would have looked about like this. We would have had about 57 members. That is the number of Wells people that we have in our congregation that transferred in. Um, it turns out Sharpsburg is not a hot spot for Wells transfers. 20 years later, there'd be 57 of us. Um, incidentally, if you just went by the congregational average adult confirmation rate of, I think it's 1.2, 1.3, this number would about look exactly the same. Um, but you know, what we ended up doing was through a whole set of glorious failures, committed to being in the box and swinging out of our shoes as much as we could and then see what the Spirit would do. And, and the Spirit has blessed us uh, beyond, uh, beyond our wildest hopes. We're a church of about, well, closing in on 700 members now. Um, almost all of those, as you can tell, through adult confirmation. And the only reason I share those numbers is to do two things. Is, is first of all, is to remind you that if we're, if we're going to talk about some of these outreach things, it's, it's going to come from experience of having hundreds and hundreds of people that have come through this, this, this model, through these, these things that we're talking about. And also a reminder that everything that we're going to talk about today is not going to be difficult. It will be hard. Okay? We're not going to split the atom today. I'm going to tell you things you probably already know, but it will be hard. Because here's the thing about outreach nobody likes to admit. Um, if I don't go on any outreach calls next week, no one's really going to know. I, no one's really going to care. Right? Outreach is really easy to not do because nobody's asking you to do it. No one's hey, You know what? If you don't visit the sick old ladies in your congregation, there's going to come a moment when some elders pull you aside as a pastor and go, you need to see Mrs. Schmidt. Right? If you as congregation leadership don't address the children or youth in your congregation, there's going to come a point when the people grab their pitchforks and torches and say, why aren't you addressing the children? There's absolutely nobody in the congregation that does that for the unchurched. They just don't have a voice unless that voice is going to be you. And that's my encouragement to you today as we talk about these things. Be the voice of the unchurched at the leadership table in your congregation, in your school, in your community, because they need it. We have what they need, and Jesus has invited us to participate in this mission to call the elect of faith through the gospel. So we'll talk today about failures, but hopefully they'll be glorious ones. Um, 
so for us, when we got started out, we wanted to talk about if what we want to do as a church is identify the unchurched in our community and share the gospel with them, um, we were confronted with, well, what's the best way to do that, humanly speaking? What is the way that's most likely going to result in unchurched people getting in contact with the gospel? Now, for us, when we were a tiny little exploratory church, we didn't have programs, we didn't have a school, we didn't have all these side doors people could come in. We had one thing, which was public worship. Uh, so our question was, what would it be most likely for an unchurched person to come to church for the first time? Um, I gotta say, I've worked in consulting with a lot of outreach uh, committees in different congregations. Almost every outreach committee I've ever talked to has an answer for that. They'll tell you exactly what the unchurched need for them to come to church for the first time. They always get a little uncomfortable when I ask them, which unchurched person told you that? Because a lot of times we make assumptions about the unchurched. So we had a really great blessing early in our career that the Barna Research Group, big nationally known uh, um, group, came into Coweta County and they, didn't, they asked, they wanted to identify unchurched families and ask the unchurched people, you, now you tell us, what would be the most likely um, uh, ministry approaches that, would, that you would say would bring you into church for the first time? Right? So this is a really interesting set of information for me. It wasn't just a bunch of us church people sitting around in the meeting talking about what the unchurched need. Um, it was actually asking them. So this was the responses that we got. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you can read those at the back. Should I read them out loud? Read them out loud. So the top one is children's programs, community service, learning about God, Bible study, social activities, support programs, marriage groups, contemporary worship. So look at that list for a minute, and maybe I want to ask for you to consider what's something that surprises you, and what's something that just makes sense on that list that maybe we haven't, we haven't thought about or talked about before. Please, Dan. Learning about How about that? That the unchurched say they'd like to learn about God. That sometimes is one of the last things we think we could, we could try to use to say, well, you want to learn about God? Guess what? I'm uniquely qualified to tell you about God. Yeah. Good. What another one? Bible study. Bible study. They want to learn what the Bible says. How about that? Surprising or not surprising thing? Regular church services. Say again? Regular church services. A regular church service is not listed that way. So they, well, they're probably kind of implied because all these things are saying, what would bring you to a regular church service? Yeah, so I think they're, they're saying, I would, they would say these things. Please, Pastor Calpine. Well, that's kind of surprising for some people, right? Because sometimes people have thought that unchurched people need contemporary worship to come. Those are the same people that I always ask, which unchurched person told you that? Because now here's the thing. If they didn't even ask about liturgical worship, I'm willing to bet it was further down the list, right? But the, the takeaway here, the surprising takeaway is that style of worship is not something that unchurched people say would make them come to church for the first time. Um, and what I found out is that uh, if someone is an unbeliever and comes to faith in Jesus, you know what kind of worship they really, 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 really like? The worship at the place that called them out of darkness into light. Um, so I guess my point is, let's not make assumptions about unchurched people and then make decisions based on them when we haven't actually asked them. Um, I think the other thing here that I find surprising is, you know, the, uh, we, the Wells, 
are kind of good at the top of that list, right? Do you know that uh, number one program, children's programs, that's not surprising probably to anybody that's been around modern day American culture. Um, people worship their children in a way that people in past ages worshiped false gods, right? Junior has been raised to the top of every family totem pole. Uh, I now, if, you wanna, if the pastor wants to meet with you, they gotta check on Billy's karate schedule before they can commit to it, right? Um, this is no surprise that unchurched people love their children. We can see the way that we, Christ followers, can, can do this as well, so it's no surprise that they would. How about this, though? So they're saying children's programs would be the most likely reason to bring them to church for the first time. Think about what we have in the wells. Do you know we've got the third largest private school system in the nation? Third largest in the wells. I mean, it, only because the Catholics divide this by diocese, but we, let's not digress too much on that. Then we'd be fourth. The third largest. Do you know that we have 2,800 trained educators whose specialty is sharing the gospel with young people? 2,800 of them. And we have communities of unchurched people are saying, this is important to me. But then we also have the kind of stark statistic that says even though we have these things in the wells and we're good at doing things like teaching people about God and getting them into the Bible, but yet our adult confirmation rate on average is 1.2 to 1.3 adult confirmants per year. What, what's the disconnect there? We want to make sure that the disconnect is not that we have opportunities to share the gospel that we're failing to take. If it's going to be that the Holy Spirit works faith when and where he wills, and Jesus, in his, in his divine wisdom, has decided your congregation is not a place where the Holy Spirit's going to add people through evangelism, so be it. This is Jesus' church, not ours. But if we've been invited to participate in Jesus' mission of calling the elect to faith through the gospel, boy, let it never be a result that there are opportunities that we just failed to be good stewards of the means of grace, and we didn't take advantage of them, right? Yeah. So for us, when we started to want to put together a... Uh, an integrated outreach plan for our congregation, this became very foundational for us about saying how can we um, make use of what the unchurched people are telling us to put together a plan that seeks to intersect unchurched people with the means of grace. And so when we started to do that, we said we wanted a plan that was going to uh, use corporate outreach efforts to try to establish a culture of outreach and invitation that builds on our strengths and provides the context for personal witnessing. So as church leaders, we wanted to be in control of what we could to help develop under God uh, a culture in which our members were regularly empowered and encouraged to be personal witnesses. Now what would a plan look like that would help develop a culture like that? I mean, because we all know I think the absolute best personal wit or best witness in the world, if you're talking about it humanly speaking, would be a personal witness from somebody that you know. Right? Like when Andrew went and found Peter and took him to see Jesus. That, that's the best because, well, you know, when it's not personal, we don't have the same level of credibility. I mean, in our, we live in a world that's inundated with, uh, well, it's, it's a good example of that. It's like we live in the information age, right? We, uh, we are inundated with information. You get all the information you ever possibly could want, but there's a reason why they don't call this the wisdom age because there's a difference between information and wisdom. Information means knowing that the tomato is a fruit. Wisdom means knowing not to put it in a fruit salad, right? The difference between information and wisdom means why, that's why you and I look for curated data sets, 
I don't know if you know you're doing that, but you're doing that. You look for a curated data set. When you went out for dinner tonight, um, you, a list of every restaurant in Chicago is not that helpful to you. Actually, even a list of all the ones within a mile are not that helpful to you. So the first thing you're going to want to do is check what? How many stars it has, right? Go to Yelp. Find out if anybody else thinks this restaurant's any good. That's a curated data set. In the same way, personal witnessing is a curated data set. This is not, this is not information. This is purportedly not, or wisdom that's coming from someone you know and you trust. That is the absolute best way. But now here's the thing. Um, that's not difficult, but it is hard. It's hard. And we can preach and coach and lead and tell everybody that they need to be personal witnesses. But maybe there's some things that we can do as leaders, as a congregation, that helps build a culture or a context that takes that hard thing and makes it less difficult. So that's what we're going to try to do. We wanted to come up with a plan, uh, a year-round plan, that, would, that uh, really would be uh, focused on four areas. Uh, that this plan would accompany or encompass all the areas of our ministry. Uh, that it would make use of the secular calendar for inertia and that it features come and go events, inviting the, the current the community to come to us and, and organizing events where we go to the community, and encourages personal witnessing. Um, this is our way of trying to be the voice for the unchurched. Okay, so for us, we said, let's establish four invitational events per year that involve inviting our community to us. Now, this was really easy to do at the beginning because we didn't have any other programs. We didn't have any other side doors for them to enter. All we had was Sunday morning worship. Um, but first of all, let's not forget what happens on Sunday morning worship. I mean, it is the place where the, it is centered around the means of grace, the one thing that could open people's hearts. And it, is folk, it is, brings our unchurched people into contact with the body of Christ, the people of God. Right, that, it was underscored for me how much that matters with uh, a man, a friend of mine named, named uh, Steve. Steve and his wife, Amy, they, they came to church for the first time. Uh, we followed up on them, did all the things we're going to talk about. Amy ended up coming through adult instruction class, and, uh, but not Steve. Steve was an atheist. And, uh, you know, I tried everything I knew how to do, and I failed again and again. I couldn't get him to, uh, you know, come meet with me. I couldn't get him to let me talk to him about the gospel at his house. I couldn't get him to let, But you know what he would do? He would come to worship with his wife. All right, that's all it was. I was a failure. Um, five years later, I had uh, a call out of the parish, and he stopped into my study. He just wanted to let me know that um, he was an atheist, but he believes in Jesus now, confessed his faith in Christ, and wanted to let me know that as long as, if I took a call away, you need to know this, that I believe in Jesus and I know I'm going to be in heaven, Pastor. It was a failure in every aspect of it, but God made it glorious, right? A glorious failure. Um, all by just him coming to public worship, because that's where the means of grace is. So what we wanted to say is, how do we get people around the means of grace and then around the people of God? Because, you know, here's a really important thing. If you ask unchurched people why they will come back to a church for the second time, top two reasons they always give are good preaching, friendly people. Not in that order. Friendly people, good preaching. So I want you to think about this. If you're not a pastor in this room, what you do on Sunday morning in the eyes of the unchurched is more important than what I'm doing from the pulpit. Now, we as Lutherans understand that there's theological implications that if we're proclaiming law and gospel, this is what has, but we're talking about an unbeliever here. 
All right, we're talking about someone who doesn't, who is uh, seeing thing only from a from a human perspective. And he says, "What you do on Sunday morning is more important to him returning than what I'm doing." And you know, who knows on which visit the Holy Spirit might do His great work of creating faith through the gospel in that person. Um, so, what we want to do is provide these invitational events because we want to give people um, opportunities to intentionalize personal witnessing and invitation. That doesn't mean we don't want people inviting people to church all the time. Of course we do. But it's a little bit like why we as a culture set aside the fourth Thursday of November to be thankful. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be thankful all the time, but that, that rolls around and it's a reminder to us that, that there are a lot of things for me to be thankful about. I mean, maybe think about that some more. You should probably tell your mom you love her more than the first Sunday in May. But that's an opportunity to be thoughtful and intentional about it. Um, and so what we like to do is set aside some of those days to make sure everyone is, is being, um, being served the opportunity to invite their friends and neighbors. So you can tell for us what we do is we, we uh, put it around the calendar, leaves three to 13 to 15 weeks between each one, and that's to leave time for the uh, follow-up work that we're going to talk about. Um, Christmas and Easter, those, both, those two make use of the secular inertia of the calendar, if, at least in my, in my context. Unchurched people are more likely to go to church on Christmas Eve or on Easter Sunday than they are to go on Epiphany 5. Um, so we land on those two things. And then we created two more events that were worship plus something else. Uh, so fall festivals like worship plus a great big community picnic, you know, pony rides, bounce houses, and all these things. Um, soccer camp, same thing. Um, and I, I probably should say and give the disclaimer, um, it might sound... A little weird to say we offer pony rides and bounce houses in addition to worship and we hope the unchurched people come maybe because of it but president valeski of the seminary he used to have this great saying which is just so true he said remember an unbeliever cannot come to worship for the first time for the right reason he's an unbeliever he cannot come to worship to praise jesus be fed by the means of grace and give glory to god the father he just can't because he's an unbeliever he might come to worship for the first time um, because of the pony rides he might, it'd be the wrong reason. But here's the thing, we saw from our community that children's activities were the thing that unchurched people said would be most likely to have them come to church. So we gave them reasons to come to church that centered in their children. And they come to church for the wrong reason. We give them every reason to stay that centers in Christ. Right? If, we, if we fail to do that, if we let them develop a relationship with their church based on pony rides and bounce houses, we would be failing to participate in Jesus' mission to call the elect of faith through the gospel. But that's not what we're going to do. So we're going to recognize the fact that they may come to church for the wrong reason, uh, but we're going to give them every right reason uh, to stay connected to church. So with those four dates set, then we start working on building a, uh, a plan to try to intersect with our community as much as we can to connect those unchurched people to these invitational, uh, invitational uh, events. And the first thing we do is we, uh, uh, we do two weeks beforehand. You can see each of those uh, brown areas signifies when our mass mailings are going to hit mailboxes. Mass mailing is really simple. Um, you know, advertisers say that you need seven touches before somebody recognizes or uh, uh, will take action on whatever you're trying to advertise. I don't know how true that is, but I will say the more times our gospel message touches people, the more likely they are, it seems, to come to church. So for us, we start with a mass mailing to make sure that everybody in our target area gets at least one invitation. Um, I read one time that said the number one reason why unchurched people say they don't go to church is because they say no one's invited them. Well, if that's actually true, then shame on us. 
right? I want to make sure that no one in my target area gets to say that to Jesus at the end of time. We're going to invite everybody. Um, so for us, it's really simple. It's like a baseline, um, uh, a baseline contact. You know, our call to action on each of these four mailings will be join us at worship or join us at the Worship Plus uh, Fall Festival soccer camp. Um, what we like to do is just, you can divide your area up, make sure you're, like we, we do a five mile radius, make sure every one of those homes is touched, we'll address where we're gonna go with, with canvases. Um, we, uh, you know, during the plenary, um, our, well, our first presenter, she, she talked about geographic boundaries and, and being willing to, to cross them. If you look to the right of the, the orange section on the right, that's, that's uh, the city called Peachtree City. Peachtree City is a planned community. Everybody drives around on golf carts and it's like they, they refer to themselves as living in the bubble. We are exactly one quarter of a mile outside of Peachtree City. I've been trying to cross that geographic boundary for 22 years. So part of me, part of me the, the the pragmatic part says I'm done with it. I'm not gonna do it anymore. Um, I finally found out the way to get people from Peachtree City to cross that invisible boundary and come worship with us at church. Um, it wasn't that I was very good at outreach. It's that Sam's and Costco both built right by our church. So now they can come. It was a glorious failure. Um, again, if you're doing mass, mass mailing, you can probably do this for $1,500. Um, that, that's kind of a, a baseline number we'll use for postage and printing. Um, no, nobody in our target area is gonna go without an invitation. Then the next thing that will happen, you'll see the black dot. Uh, after the mass mailing hits, then we'll do congregational canvases. Um, I realize that congregational canvassing has gotten a bad rap recently. Um, if you think about that, uh, the idea of knocking on somebody's door and, and uh, asking them a survey or inviting them to church. Well, let me ask you this. Think about your congregation and assign what you think your congregation would average on a 1 to a 10 about their love and ability to do canvassing. 10 being it's fantastic, they love it, it's the best at it. 1 is that I really don't want to do any canvassing at all. Okay? Your congregation. So whose congregation is 5 and above? Yeah, that's pretty normal. Foreign below is everybody else, right? Uh, but here's the thing, I think theologically, we have to answer that question differently, right? Theologically, every one of your congregational members, you, me, we are both a one and a 10. Because I've got a sinful flesh and I've got a new man. My sinful flesh is a one, it does not want to do any canvassing at all. It can come up with every excuse, why it doesn't work, all the problems that could happen and how I'm too busy. But there's a new man inside of me that wants to participate in Jesus' mission of calling the elect to faith through the gospel. Wants to do it, right? So our job as leadership then maybe is to say, how can we take the obstacles that the old man puts in the way that the new man might fulfill the calling to which he's been called, right? And so for us in canvassing, that's really simple. Like, why do people not want to go canvassing? What are the reasons? Why do you not want to go canvassing? I'll make it really simple. Don't think about somebody else. Why do you not want to go canvassing? Okay, I feel uncomfortable. Right, yeah, absolutely. I, I might be intruding. Good, please. What if they ask me a question and I don't know what to say? I, I think you guys have hit on most of the ones that I usually hear. So, and our people said that exactly. So what we said was, well, maybe we need to change the way we canvas. Maybe we need to take away those obstacles to the old sinful Adam that the new man might function. So we changed our canvases, and now we call our canvases no talking necessary, no training necessary canvases. 
Instead of knocking on the door, all we want you to do is come out with us, hang a door hanger on the door, don't knock on it, walk to the next door. If there's a big scary dog, skip it, we're gonna hit them with mail anyway, right? You don't have to talk to anybody, you don't have to have any training, this is all you're gonna do. It's only gonna be an hour, we're gonna make sure we have everything ready for you, we're not gonna waste a minute of your time, but this is what we want you to help us. Bring your family out, everybody can come. Do you know taking away those two greatest fears for canvassing changed our number of canvassers from two to we've had as high as 70 people canvassing with us. Now, and I think canvassing for us is a bit of a spiritual exercise that is really important, I think. If you get 70 people in your congregation out not talking to anybody about Jesus, and I get that. This is a downgrade from knocking on a door, finding somebody, maybe have a chance to personally witness. But something is happening. Number one, a gospel message is being given to that household. And number two, what's happening is every one of those 70 members suddenly has skin in the game when it comes to evangelism. Somebody who's willing to go do that, I've found, is much more likely to look around on the invitation event and see if anybody new happened to come by. Because, you know, we went canvassing. And if they saw somebody new come by, they're much more likely to maybe go over and say hello. And you know what the unchurched people say is the number one reason why they might come back to church for a second time? Friendly people, right? Please. Yeah. Thank you. We do it in advance of each of the event, the uh, the uh, invitational events, and we usually do it a week or a week and a half beforehand, during the week, in the evening for an hour. Um, sometimes, uh, so the, the December one usually has to change in the evening because we get dark pretty early. Um, but the other ones we can all hit. You know, we, we tell them, you, you come at 6, you're done at 7. So we make sure that they've got a piece of paper with their, their, their route marked out and the right number. We do. <laughs> we serve pizza afterwards, exactly. Please. You kind of touched on with giving them a piece of paper with their routes. Do you have a simple way to organize so everyone has the right amount of supplies and so that they don't step on someone else's territory? Yes, I've already heard that you have a, a, a method to make sure everybody has the right amount, knows what their routes are, and doesn't step on anybody else. Yes, that system is called my vicar. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can, we can outsource it. I mean, all we do is we take our target area, go on Google Maps, um, and then print out maps that are, for our, for our area, um, we're on three-quarter acre homes, and so you can do 30 homes per hour per person, and so we do sets of 60, and then we mark out the 60 homes, count out 60 things, give it to them, and then when they show up, they just grab a map, they grab their things, and off they go, and they do their 60. And that, that's worked out pretty well for us. Um, please, in the back. I'm just curious if new people that have come to these have specifically said that they came because of the Yeah, for sure. This is the thing. When you, 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 you do all this canvassing and you think it's a failure. And I remember somebody, I went, somebody came in one time and they brought in six or seven years worth of door hangers. Said, you know, we just always kept these around our house. And I just never knew if we, but if we were, or another one, a good friend of mine, Logan, who was an atheist for his whole life. And he said, you know, we just kept getting these door hangers. And I thought, well, if I ever go to a church, it'll be that one. Then he walked in one day and said, my name's Logan. I'm an atheist. Can I come to church? <laughs> yes. And again, so this wasn't brilliant outreach. This was God taking a failure, making it glorious. Pastor Calpin. Yes. Two people didn't come to our event, but they did write back to me and said, 
we got your mailer, and it was really well done. Uh, because I think they get a lot of stuff from the door that was printed on the dot matrix. And <laughs> like that. So doing things excellently. Yes. If you're actually going to do an actual canvas where you talk to people, we found that we sent out a similar mailer that said, we're going to be in your neighborhood. Here are the five questions we're going to ask you. Uh, we sent it out on social media. We had so many people that said, opened the door and said, oh, we were expecting you. And, and thanks for letting us know ahead of time. Uh, yeah, here's the answer to the question. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I think you do get a better response with that. I've done, I've done both, and I've, I got a bad taste in my mouth to the surveys because I didn't do that when we were starting out. They didn't know I was coming. And, and so, but one of the things I found, if I go door to door, finally, one of the things that, that I use just most often is, hey, I'm John, I'm from Faith, Youth, and Church down by Costco. Um, we're just in the neighborhood getting to know our neighbors and looking for people that don't have a home church. Do you guys have a home church? And I mean, again, this, we're not splitting the atom at summer camp. This is, not, this is not difficult. It is hard. You still have to go out and do it. Yeah, but thank you. I, I really like that idea. Please. So no, they, the door hangers would be themed with the invite. So everything we're gonna talk about around these events are gonna be all themed the same way. So like for us, for Christmas and Easter, we'll use the Wells Congregational Services stuff. Um, for um, Fall Festival and Soccer Camp, we've developed our own thing, but those, the, those graphics are gonna be the same call to action, the same look, the same message, so that when people see it, when they see, and we'll, we'll talk about when they see the social media, when they see the, uh, the email, when they see the road sign, when they see the mass mailing, when they see the canvas, these are adding up to the seven touches. Great question. Let's see. All right, let's go to the next one. Um, you can see now the, the pink that's showing up there. A week, whoops, go back. Pink there, about a week and a half beforehand. This is where we add our, our social media buys. Um, I'll say right up front, social media advertising is kind of creepy. It just, it can be. Um, but what we're doing is, I guess, we always struggle with trying to be as uh, wise as serpents while we remain as innocent as doves. But here it is, so I'll just tell you what we do. We don't do it anything super creepy, but it just feels pretty granular. Um, we generally buy Facebook, Google, Instagram, haven't gotten into TikTok yet. Um, but uh, mass mailing is an everyone invitation. Social media is targeted information. So if you were me and you wanted to target the demographic for whom you would display social ads, what would you pick? Families with children from zero to 18. You almost got it exactly though what we picked. The only thing I did was instead of families, I actually said women with children zero to 18. Because what we found out in our context is the number one indicator whether someone's going to come to church on the weekend is mom, not dad. You know, it's the whole... It's the whole God's plan maybe turned upside down. It's just reality. So, we, we, so if you are a woman who's between the ages of 25 and 45 and are inside the geofenced area of our five-mile radius, you are going to get a lot of stuff from us. Um, you will, there's no way you can't know that we have an early childhood center. There's no way you're not going to know that we've got this event coming up if you use the Internet. Um, we understand that that doesn't target everybody, but that's why we, we like to do the mass mailing thing too, so we hope, hopefully aren't leaving people, leaving people out of it. Um, but again, use the same graphics that you're going to have on your website, you're going to have in your door hanger, all that kind of stuff. Um, there are other people you could talk to that are far, far more knowledgeable about social media than I am. But I will say it's not hard. It's not that expensive. 
there is a 15-year-old in your church that can teach you how to do it tomorrow if you don't know how. Uh, it's not, not that big of a deal. Just if your church hasn't filled out a, a Google business, the Google business side, same thing with Facebook, do that. It's free. That opens all these things up to you in a way that you can use that's, that's comfortable for you. Yeah. Please. I know it's anecdotal, but for your ads leading up to these big events, how much do you spend per ad? So how much do we spend per ad? Um, so what we did, this, so do you guys remember the yellow pages? A lot of young people here are too young to remember the yellow pages where it was, it was a thing. If you weren't a business, if you weren't in the yellow pages, and the, when I first got, when we started the church, we put our stuff in the yellow pages, and I was scandalized by how much it costs to be in the yellow pages as a business with any sort of, uh, but so what we did eventually was we took everything that we were paying for the yellow pages at pretty early on, I mean, for me, it was pretty apparent that yellow pages weren't gonna be around. So we took all that money and dumped it into our social media ads. And so that was easy for me to sell to congregational leadership. You know, it's not just a pile of magic beans. It's the money we were sending from yellow pages. We're doing it here. Um, so right now, maybe we put in um, anywhere between 500 and a thousand dollars, something like that for an event. It's per event. yeah, per event. Yeah. So somebody asked us last time, what's your outreach budget? I would say our outreach budget now is probably now, twelve to fifteen thousand dollars annually, but for most of our most of our congregational life, it was more like five or six thousand dollars. Each of those things you can you can scale up, you can set budgets to make sure they don't get out of control. Yeah. Uh, I will say, speaking of magic beans, do beware a little bit that you can have people that will sell you social media packages that they'll tell you how many eyeballs they're going to get put on your social media uh, things, and uh, they. My encouragement to you would be don't think about social media as the sum total of your outreach experience. I think it can be a, a facet of it, but I think, uh, I, I think it shouldn't be the only thing you're doing. Yeah. Again, these are unvarnished opinions from just somebody who's done it for a long time and failed at it a lot. So take them as you will. Um, so the next one there that we're showing up, the yellow, you can see that's what I call faith builders. That's our name for adult instruction class. Um, so we always schedule four faith builders that follow each of these inv invitational events. We're going to leave enough time for us to do follow-up work and recruit into those faith builders. Um, now, what I'm probably going to say next is probably my most uh, just purely personal, unvarnished opinion. I'm going to say a bunch of things about adult instruction class that you can take with a grain of salt. I'm only going to say it because we've taken about 500 adults through adult instruction class, so I have opinions, um, having failed it a lot. So I'll give you a couple of those things. Um, the first thing I would say is, Put it on the calendar every single time. If you wait to schedule uh, adult instruction class until you have people interested, you know that feeling, right, when you just keep not having people interested? Put it on the calendar. Recruit for it. Email for it. Call people to it. Show up that night. It might be a failure. Someone might not come, but it'll, it'll be a glorious failure because you're participating in Christ's mission. Um, I think if you schedule these things, there's a sense of urgency and necessity on the part of congregation leadership to say, let's funnel people in uh, to these, uh, these things. Um, provide free childcare. Just do it. That's the number one excuse people will say when they can't, oh, I've got kids. We have free childcare. And if you can do it, maybe a professional person, like we have our, some of our preschool staff that we pay extra to be there to be the professional um, um, childcare providers. And that, that's helped us a ton. Uh, here's probably a controversial one. In my opinion, I don't think you need to do 26 weeks of adult instruction class. Um, I know that some people do that. I, my personal opinion is I'm confirming them, not ordaining them. 
Um, and I'm assuming two things, that they have been in worship and they're going to be in worship and Bible study. So we, we always run our faith builders Sunday after church, right after church. So 11.30 church ends, 11.35 is faith builders. And the reason for that is, since I started doing that, everybody that comes to faith builders is also coming to worship. And that's a really good thing. You know, if you spend 12 or 13 weeks in adult instruction class and also 12 or 13 hours of Sunday morning worship, that's 26 hours of instruction. Whereas before, when I was doing it on Tuesday nights, I'd have people that would make it most of the way through the class and they haven't come to church. Because again, they're unchurched people who haven't prioritized this in their entire life. It's a great victory over sin and Satan that they come on a Tuesday night at 7. Expecting it on Sunday maybe was too much to hope for. This way, we, we bundle it up. And so we also don't, I also don't think doing those, not many people do them, but when they, they pack all the adult instruction like into a weekend or two, I, I think the downside to that is you don't have them in the worshiping life of the church for 12 weeks or 13 weeks or whatever number is. And again, remember, unchurched people haven't had this as part of their life. So helping them to establish that, that pattern and then to be around the means of grace like that is just hugely beneficial for me. Um, please. The putting it after church? Yeah, yeah again, as I, as I led with, we are very much, I'm, I'm talking from one context. Um, I know that I, like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't begin to try to tell people west of the Rockies because I know that I, I hear people leave their faith when they cross the Rockies. I, do, I don't know what that's like. Um, so I really would be sharing from ignorance. But I would say that the people that we have coming to this are not churchgoers because they've been unchurched or unbelievers so they're doing this for the first time so in that regard maybe that would be something that would transfer so these are not uh, generally speaking you know it'd be like logan the atheist who walked in what do we do yes come to worship we recruited him in faith builders and he went to worship for 12 weeks and he went to faith builders for 12 weeks and we get to the baptism one he's like the ethiopian eunuch he's like, why can't i be baptized you can it's great yeah so that's a great question yeah and i'm sorry if i feel like i'm dodging it a little bit yeah Please. Before you do that congregational canvas, are you actually telling them that faith builders is this day? So the congregational canvas, the call to action on that is purely come join us at worship or worship plus. And then the invitation of faith builders is going to be part of our follow-up. I'm going to jump ahead to that so you can understand it. So um, the green thing that just popped up there, following the, the red X, this is where we begin our follow-up. So people in the canvas or personal invitation, they show up the worship event. The next thing that happens is um, a thank you package visit. And now my plug here is if you disregard everything else I've said today, I would love you to consider implementing this at your congregation if you don't do it. It's really simple. It's not hard. It's not even that, or it's not difficult. It's not even that hard. Um, Outreach Magazine said that of congregations that were static or contracting, 85% of those congregations across the, the country don't do any sort of worship visitor follow-up. I, I think there's some correlation there. It may be that the Holy Spirit, or Jesus in his wisdom, has decided the Holy Spirit's work in your community is to harden hearts, not open them for Christ. Before you consign your community to perdition, 
I suggest making a couple of thank you visits because it seems like these are the most important visits we make. Um, you, you know the, that visiting family that comes and what they really want is they want to be noticed that they were there. And no matter how big your church is or how small your church is, they want to be noticed. They don't want to be called out on Sunday morning. Goodness, no. Don't like tie a pink balloon on them so people can say which one is the visitor. Don't do that. They don't want that. But they want to be noticed. So what we do is really simple. Within 72 hours of somebody coming to worship for the first time, we have a lay couple drop off a thank you bag. This is not... It's not fancy. We put a coffee cup in there with our logo on it because who throws away coffee cups, right? They stay there for generations in your cupboard. Um, really, probably the most important thing in the get thank you bag is just a personal note from the couple saying, hey, Bill, thanks for stopping by worship. We really enjoyed having you there. We hope you come again, Mary. Um, and then we have them take these to the worship visitor's home. Um, one of the best things we ever did, remembering again that people old man, new man are both ones and tens when it comes to outreach. The best thing we did for our thank you package recruitment was telling our thank you visitors, you are not permitted to go inside their home. Say, so if, if they invite you inside your home, you're not permitted to go in. What you do is you say, hey, I know you weren't expecting us, but I know my pastor is hoping to stop by. Can I have him give you a call? Here's the thank you bag. As soon as we did that and told them they don't have permission to go inside the house, we went from like two of these people to 20 of these people because people were afraid that they were gonna have to go inside the house and what if I have to talk? Now, we've got a couple of them who are perfectly happy with that and we'll let them go make a level three visit. Go in there and talk to them as long as you want to. Um, but these packages are, these package visits are so simple, but I can't tell you how many people over the years who've come through Faith Builders have said, this, this visit meant so much to me. And I really think it's better coming from a lay family than from the pastor. Uh, when the pastor shows up and does that, it's a little more used car salesman and when a lay couple shows up and does that, it's a little bit more like someone who's given this place a five-star Yelp review. It's a little bit more of a, uh, of a curated data set, right? I think that's better. Please. Yeah, so there's the cards, there's the books. What uh, you found to be most effective ways to collect addresses. So this is, this is truth, and no one can gainsay me on this. Only Wells people sign guest books. That's it. We took away the guest book from our church because only Wells people signed it. And I got so tired of trying to explain to Wells visitors from other states that we don't have a guest book that I just put it back out. But if you go to our guest book, I, we have one of these presentations, I took a picture of like eight pages of it and just showed them. It's just all a list of Mary and Jane from Slinger, Wisconsin. You know, and it's the only reason we have it. Unchurched people don't sign guest books unless you drag them over and say, we really want you to do this. But that's kind of cultish. If you ask unchurched people to do something that no one else is doing, that's a little weird, right? So what we said was, we're gonna do it in a way that everybody does it so that the, uh, so for us, it's just as simple as a friendship register. The big thing we made a change is you don't let the ushers hand it out. Ushers always hand it out with that grumpy look on their face and it feels like I'm trying to extract data from you. Instead, we give it to four and five-year-old little girls and boys. When they hand it, everybody's like, oh, write whatever you want in here. Um, and then the other thing we've learned is uh, we, before each of these events, I send out an email to the congregation saying, are you willing to serve Jesus in a unique and interesting way? And then I say, please fill out the friendship register in full. Because it turns out after looking at 25 or 30,000 of these things, here's a given. Whatever my member fills out and hands to an unchurched person, they will fill out the exact same thing. If it's just name, that's all I'm getting. If it's the whole thing, they'll put everything down, including their social security and, other, and mother's maiden name, right? 
So if you, some, like a simple, but here's the thing, instead of harping on our people, reminding them that here's an opportunity to be part of Christ's mission to call the elect of faith through the gospel in a really simple and unique way. Sit in the, or sit in the front, park in the back, and fill out the friendship register in full because it's an invitation Sunday. Can you serve Jesus like that? Everybody always says, yeah, I can serve Jesus like that. So that's what we found. Um, adding an email list or email slot provided, tended to get more people that would have never left us anything they leave email. I think people are used to getting spam. Uh, so that, that was something that was helpful. Um, but that's what we've done. We get, yeah, well, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't guess on the percentage of worship visitors that we get that fill it out and we don't. We always have a bunch that do and a bunch that just want to be anonymous for a while. Yeah. So following the thank you package visit by, the, uh, by, the, by a lay couple, then clergy follow-up begins right after that. And then we move into uh, the, the dark brown section of, of the two weeks worth. This is the faith builders recruitment phase um, where we make door visits, where you show up at their door. This is somebody who we think is a good candidate for faith builders. We hand them a faith builders invitation. Um, we send emails, we make phone calls, uh, we make personal invitations through each of our areas of ministry, um, and we invite them to participate in this thing called faith builders. Um, it's, it's neat to see it when God blesses it. Like last week, our vicar made Mm, probably nine or ten, eh, more, maybe more like 15 of these recruitment for faith builder um, visits where it was not splitting the atom, knock on the door, hey, remember me? We're having this Bible that we think you'd love it. We'd like to just invite you to it. Okay, thanks. 29 of those people showed up at church on this past Sunday and talking with each of them after church, they have all indicated that they want to sign up for faith builders starting next week. That would, be an un, that, would be not, that would be not the Deion Sanders statistics. I don't think it's going to happen. We'll probably be more like 7 out of 10 failure rate. But it's really neat to see. It's not difficult. But you do have to go make the calls. But they're easy ones to make. Um, how much time do I have left? Five minutes? Six minutes? Is that right? This isn't at 4.15? Or 3.15? Thank you. I mean, Eastern. Um, last thing to pop up there, you see the big, oops, you see the big gray things there, um, our Connect Group trimesters. So Connect Group is our small group ministry at Faith, and we make sure that the, uh, the onboarding process for the small groups happens after Faith Builders starts, uh, so that people that are coming to Faith Builders have lots of opportunities to get as connected as they want to be to the community or to the congregation. Because again, a lot of these folks, what they're looking for is they're not just looking for community, they're looking for something to belong. They've got this void inside them. You know, as Augustine said, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find their rest in you. Um, they don't know what they're looking for. We do. They want to be connected to the, uh, into this community called the body of Christ. So we want to make sure we have open opportunities for that. If you haven't done something like a small group ministry, I was afraid of it for a really long time. Um, you know, in school we learned that bad things happened with the pietists when they did small groups and stuff like that. Um, I finally, finally came to understanding that I looked around and there were lots of small groups happening all over our congregation. I mean, people got together to go to lunch, people got together to ride motorcycles, people got together to do this, that, the other thing. Only thing that wasn't happening is we weren't providing an opportunity to invite people to it. Either unchurched people from the community or people in our congregation who might benefit from that. And so we have three kinds of groups. There's a, um, a study group, which studies God's word. There's a, a social group that just gets together to socialize. And there's a service group that exists to either serve people in the community or serve, serve the church in some way. So, you know, study, social, service. And the, uh, the great thing about this program is it's, uh, you know, it's, it's completely lay-led and lay-driven. Everybody understands that clergy is not allowed to attend. 
The reason for that is not because it'd be inherently bad, but number one, if I go into a group, it's more likely to be less lay-led. They might defer to me. The other two thing is, if we've got 25 groups this semester, if I go to one of them, I kind of have to go to all of them, right? How do, I tell, how do I tell Mary that her group is not one I want to come to? Um, so the clergy's not involved at all, and these things are wonderfully Darwinian. I got to say this, it's great. You know, because somebody can come up with any kind of connect group they want, and if people like it, it'll run. If not, it'll die. It's, it's also, as leaders, a really awesome thing. You know, you know when somebody comes up to church leadership and says, you know what the church really ought to do? And then you're kind of stuck with that. If you have this, you go, that sounds like a fascinating idea. You seem to have a lot of passion about it. Would you lead a connect group about that? I bet you there's other people that share that passion. One of two things happens. Either they're passionate about it and they lead the connect group or they decide it's not that important and then the church doesn't have to do it. So this has been a great thing for us and a really nice outreach feature too. Um, let's see. So the one part, I'm not gonna have a ton of time to go through, but I wanna, I wanna talk about is, um, you can see here the, the black diamonds coming a week or so before our invitational events. Those are where our preschool harvest strategy and our uh, congregational outreach plan intersect. So the preschool parties are part of our harvest strategy that exists to build relationships with parents and then use those relationships to make invitations to, to worship and to faith builders. And so each one of our congregational, each one of our preschool functions culminates in a party that each one is meant to provide an invitation to parents to the next invitational event. So we have a fall festival and there's a, there's a, there's a costume party. You can't call it Halloween in the South or the Baptists will burn crosses on your front lawn. Um, costume party and then an invite to fall festival. Uh, there's a Christmas party for the kids and an invite to Christmas Eve. There's a uh, Easter egg hunting party and then an invitation to the resurrection of our Lord. There's the uh, end of the year party that's the invitation for the kids to come to soccer camp. Uh, incidentally, soccer camp starts at age five because that's where our preschoolers age out. So it gives them something to look forward to, an opportunity for continued connection. That's why we age it at that direction. If you are interested in looking at our harvest strategy, you can go on the website or you can shoot that. This is an articulated harvest strategy that uh, outlines the taxonomy of outreach experiences that works in our context. I'm not suggesting you take this, cut our logo off the top and use it for yourself, but maybe take a look at it and see what truths you might be able to uh, extract that would, would apply to your context. Anybody else need that? All right, then finally, the last, uh, last uh, focus here is in the center, the things that we're doing all the time. Um, and those are year-round activities that are, that, that are meant to continue to uh, drive this culture of personal witness and evangelism um, th through the, the actions of, of clergy and our leaders in the congregation and the, and the teams around it. Um, I think a, a great example that maybe I'll, I'll uh, tell last here. Well, no, I got to do this too. Then comes time to build your plan, right? You can take a look at an event coming up for Christmas. It suddenly gets really easy to build your plan. Just work backwards from what has to happen to get you to each of these invitational events, and you'll end up with a plan that lets you uh, be very easy to transfer between congregational coordinators. If we know what happens four weeks out and three weeks out and two weeks out, then the event happens, and then what we do is we call a postmortem, uh, and we talk about what well, went well. What will we do again? What do we need to do better? And that's an opportunity to be ruthlessly 
honest with ourselves and uh, also you know, relentless in our ability to say, Let, we wanna be the best stewards of the means of grace that we can be. So is there a way that we can do this um, that, that is uh, even, even more of a, good, a better steward of the means of grace at intersecting people with the gospel? I could share you some examples, but I'll just share one. Um, this is one of my favorite stories that just happened. Um, Sally got a door hanger, I bought our preschool, she checked out our website. She got hit with a social media ad. Um, she enrolled her son, Billy, in preschool. She went through our preschool harvest strategy, was invited to fall festival, came to church. Um, she never was a, we never got her into Faith Builders. But on that first uh, fall festival, she brought Mima, which is named for Grandma in the South. They've got a lot of names for Grandma in the South. Brought Mima Mary with her. Mary came through, did the follow-up program with Mary. Mary uh, became a member of the church, and then for years grew in God's word in this culture of outreach. Then she got cancer. Then she turned 90. And then she was a shut-in, and her next-door neighbor, a brand-new lady, moved in named Paula. And Mary said, you've just got to go to my church. Paula comes to church, and by the time I get to her, uh, Debbie, who had just graduated, or not graduated, just came through Faith Builders and was confirmed, was taking Paula and showing her the connect groups and inviting her to the next Faith Builders. Seven out of 10 failure, we fail a lot more than that. But it's amazing that God can take our failures and make them glorious. I, I pray that God does the same thing with you. I hope maybe you can take some things out of this, uh, th this uh, presentation, and I pray that God blesses you through it. Thanks for being here.